Welcome to the Wesley Memorial Podcast. Join us this Sunday at 1225 Chestnut Drive in High Point. Visit us on the web at wesleymemorial.org. Now here is this week's message. As we start today, I'm going to make a quick announcement. It's an important announcement. It's a good announcement. Um, if you've been coming here for a little while, you've seen that our attendance and all, all of our services really is going up. That's a good thing. That's a great thing, right? Um, and I thought, I'm not going to be as lame as making like a bar chart or a line graph. <laughs> but I've always really wanted to make one, so I did. Um, this is the best I could do with Excel, okay? Um, and if you look, the blue line is the 830 Chapel, and the, if you didn't know this, for, for many years there was two contemporary services, an 830 and a 945. And uh, the combined average of those services from 2017 to 2018 was about 130. And then um, for, for the contemporary, and then this past fall uh, it was about 144, but there were other Sundays this fall where it was like 190 or 200 in this room and it was getting really tight. Um, some people had to sit in the death seats, which is up front, and no one, no one wants that, right? No one wants that, um, even though we sit there. Um, and then in 2020, we're, uh, we're, we're, close, we're about 190 on average in this service. And then at 830 Chapel, the blue line, it's been about 40 to 44 to 52, and then there were about 60 at that chapel service. And then the 11 o'clock holds steady at about uh, 200, and that um, has a lot of visitors and new people coming um, to that one every single week. Last Sunday, we had more visitors in this church than any time since I've been here. We contacted more people last week that who visited, which is great. Um, so all that to say, um, combining that with the fact that this service meets at the exact same time as Sunday school, um, we needed to make a change. And after a lot of prayer and discussion, we knew that um, we needed to free up Sunday school hour for people that want contemporary worship and they also want to go to Sunday school, which is two very good things. Um, so starting on Easter, April 12th, we will bring back the 830 contemporary service in this room. In addition to this service, not around <laughs> two, okay. Um, so it'll be uh, an exciting time. So we invite you to invite people to help it be a good start if that's a better time for you. I know that people that work in the nursery or in student ministry or youth that want to come to contemporary worship and they can't come can now do that. So it's exciting to see that um, happening. And so that leads in pretty well to our topic today, which is 2020 vision, um, where we're going to spend each Sunday of the month talking about uh, one of our four areas of focus of Wesley Memorial. And if you look on the flags on the parking lot or in the banners around, you'll see that there are four things that we focus on, and they are small groups, worship, prayer, and hands-on mission. And we're going to be spending each Sunday just sort of casting vision about those four uh, things to help uh, see where we're going in the future. Probably every church in America is being lame like me and saying, hey, it's the year 2020. Let's call it 2020 vision. I mean, we had to take advantage of this. It's the, the only time we're going to have the year 2020. Um, although my 2020 vision passed a long time ago, which I will thank uh, the Nintendo Corporation for ruining my eyesight in the 1980s. It's my fault. But... Um, so, today the focus is small groups, discipleship, that idea. 
And this picture of a telescope is kind of accurate because you, you take, typically with a planet especially, you take something big and it distills it down to make it small so that you can see it, you can engage with it, you can understand it better, um, you, can, you, you can kind of get deeper into what you're looking at. And in many ways, our faith is like that. Like we need to kind of get small with it sometimes in order to, to connect, to, to dig deeper, for people to know me and you to know me to know you, to know names, to grow in relationship with each other and with God. The church needs to get to sort of, the, the, the more we grow in depth in our faith, then maybe as God wills, it will grow in breadth and out. But that's not the goal. The goal is depth, is getting small. And as we've seen with our lives, how our beliefs are formed, how we come to understand our faith at all, it is because of other people, right? It's relationships. It's, if you look back over your life, it's probably thousands of people, that a constellation of people that have influenced you, shaped you, molded you in your faith, in your beliefs. A lot of small moments that provided flavor and, and, and life to you in, in how you understand God and the gospel. I remember my uh, first person I thought of, is, I could name a lot, but one was a lady named Mrs. Smith. She was my Sunday school teacher at First Baptist Church in Goldsboro back in the 1980s. And I tried really hard to find a picture of this online, and I can only find one picture of a flannel graph, flannel board. Remember these things? And it's super pixelated because it's the 80s. Um, but I wanted you to appreciate the, the bad hair and the ladies wearing shoulder pads, right? And the, uh, the uh, perm and the, uh, you know. But the, fl the flannel board, it was like pieces of flannel. And I'd be like, oh, that's what Daniel looks like, you know? Like, that's what Joseph's coat looked like. It made a huge impression on me um, to see these stories played out in front of my eyes. Um, and so that was like a moment this, of, of a sort of a light coming on. But I, it was in a small group. It was in a small way that, that God used those experiences. Or we would do these things called Bible um, sword drills. You ever done these? Where they call it a Bible verse and the first person to find it and read it would get a piece of candy or something. Like I remember that. It made a big impression on me. Oh, so, sword drills, yeah. There is a lot of... Stories like that. I had a youth leader in high school named Patty when I was kind of wayward and she would let us come to her house and hang out and she would listen to us. I mean, all of these people that you're thinking of too that have shaped and molded you. Of course, my parents, my grandparents. But they all invested in relationships, right? It's only through relationships that love is communicated. It is the way. There's no other way. And I really like to think, and I'll find out one day, that one day when this life is over and I go to heaven, I really believe those people will be there to greet me. Those people that, that really loved me into the kingdom. And I like to think that I'll be there to greet other people that I loved into the kingdom. But we did it in small, intentional ways that were based on relationships. Churches, really, well, individual disciples and therefore churches don't grow spiritually overnight. There's no quick fix. It, it's not about size. I mean, bigger is not necessarily bad, but bigger is not always better. And here's what I mean. In America, we put size first. We talk about this, the breadth of it, and then maybe the deep, the depth part we'll get to later. It's like when someone asks you, where do you go to church? 
And you'll say, oh, well, I'll go to Wesley Memorial. And they'll go, oh, really? Is that, wow. Here comes the next question. How many people go there, right? Or when I ran a youth group for many years, some years we were, God was good and we had like 75, 100 kids would show up. They'll go, oh, how's your youth group going? I'm going good. Oh, how many kids come? Oh, 100, really? You know, and there's nothing wrong with that. I get the question, but from a kingdom of God perspective, is that really what matters? Because if we focus on the external, but God is focused on the heart, on the unseen, on the thing you can't necessarily put, you can't really quantify. Jesus actually taught on this in Matthew chapter 5. He taught on this thing called the Beatitudes or the Sermon on the Mount where he sat and taught about the greatest sermon ever given, um, saying things like, Blessed are the poor, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And he's speaking to his disciples. And there's a crowd around, but he's speaking to the disciples. And then at the end of this uh, sermon, he says something very odd. He says, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? And if you're like me, the disciples too were like, what? What? Salt? What does that have to do with anything, Jesus? It is no longer good for anything. It is thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. I've read that for years and thought, what in the world? What, what is he getting at? I read this illustration many years ago. I'm gonna, I was inspired by Francis Chan on this. He said, imagine you have a pile of salt, of good salt, a little pile. But then, imagine you also pull out a giant pile, because we like big piles, right? <laughs> Look how big my pile is. Look how much I've got. It's bigger than yours. I'm better. But imagine you've got a little pile of salt. I couldn't find a picture of salt. This is actually stevia. That's close enough, right? <laughs> it looks like something else, but um, imagine you had a little, imagine you had a little pile of salt that was good salt. It was what it was supposed to do. It's fulfilling its purpose. It's providing flavor and life to whatever it touches, right? But then next to it, you got your big pile. Oh, look how much I've got. From a kingdom of God perspective, which is more important? The quality of the little one or the quantity of the other? We like bragging about our size. I think Jesus is saying, I prefer quality over quantity. I'd rather have 10 men or women that are on fire for the gospel than 100 that are just sort of lukewarm. Amen? I would rather have a little pile than a big. Now, can you have a big pile of salt? Absolutely. Of good salt? Absolutely. You can. But God wants us to provide flavor to those around us. But in order to do that, it does have to start small. It has to start in relationship. It's the only way. See, a church is not a worship service. Worship services are important. They serve a very important purpose. But it is not the church. The church is people. It is relationships interlocked with each other. Taking time to get small, to grow together. And then, yeah, maybe later as we grow in depth, we'll grow in breadth. And we'll have a giant pile of good salt or stevia. But salt, regardless. 
Because a, a church or any church is only as good as its disciples. It is, it is, it's the people that indicate everything they believe in about God with their actions. How we worship determines how we view God. How we choose to be discipled determines, shows what we believe about discipleship. In choosing to be discipled by Jesus, in not being discipled by the culture that's around us. Not that we're opposed to culture. I love the culture. We should influence culture, salt and light. We can be in the culture, but not of the culture, though. The pastor, John Tyson, of Church of the City in New York, had this great list I found about uh, the ways that people are generally discipled by culture. These overarching things that you can just see. And the first one is that people tend to move from faith to doubt. When you listen to the voice of culture, it's not fashionable. It's more fashionable to live by your doubts than to live by faith. And this is perfectly normal. If you are, you're not a Christian or anything, and you, you're on the throne of your life, not Jesus, and you're essentially worshiping yourself, then it would make sense that you would listen to your doubts more than you listen to faith. Now, doubt can be a good thing. I'm, God is not intimidated by our doubts or our questions. Actually, it makes your faith stronger when we use those doubts. But when you essentially worship yourself, you're going to get a lot of doubt. You're going to listen to your doubt more than you listen to anything else. Tim Keller said, if your God never disagrees with you, you might just be worshiping an idealized version of yourself. Whoa. Oh, man. Oh, it gets better. <laughs> Anne Lamott, the author, said, you can safely assume you've created God in your own image when it turns out that God hates all the same people that you do. <laughs> Come on. We can all go home now. You might want to remember that one. It's really a question of who's on the throne. Who's on the throne? Is it Jesus on the throne? Is it yourself on the, on the throne? It's better with Jesus on the throne. Because you, you worship God. You see the truth for who God is. You see it and you understand it for the first time. You're not worshiping yourself anymore. You're not worshiping an, worshiping an idealized version of what you think God should be like. But you actually see him for who he is. But the next one for being discipled by our culture is that we've, people are moving from divine love or love to insecurity. Where this is... It makes sense, too, that when we are in a place of um, not having Christ on the throne of our lives and we are distancing ourselves from the radical compassion and grace of Jesus, then we as fallible people become the source of love. We are the definers of love. And that becomes extremely unreliable, very insecure position. Other ways we're discipled by culture is people move from community to individualism. Which is the great, the great irony of our, uh, our age that's so digitally connected and yet we're more separated than we've ever been before. We're more individualistic. We're more distanced. We're more suspicious. In other ways, people are moving from contributing to consuming. And this is a, the core of it is a misunderstanding of love, of divine love. Because love is about giving. Love's about Love is not liking. Love is not lusting. Love is not preference. Love is sacrifice. It's laying your life down. It's giving yourself away. It's an action that you do by faith. Even when you don't always feel like it. It's done by faith. 
Lusting says, what can you give me? What can I take from you? Instead of contributing, I want to consume. So many people confuse love today. And the last one is we're being discipled by our culture is that people are moving from rest to exhaustion. People are just tired. And when you take Sabbath out of your, the equation of your life, it makes sense. Jesus said the Sabbath is not intended for God. God doesn't need to rest. It was created for your benefit so that you would build rest into your life. Either that's a day you set apart or a time with God to rest with Him. But we're moving in this place of exhaustion where we're discipled by culture. Now, but if you take that list and you flip it, you see the beauty of being discipled in the way of Jesus. Moving from doubt to faith. Trusting God. Seeing God's promises are true. They're real. Moving from insecurity to divine love. Know that you can, you're not defined by what other people say about you. You're defined by what God says. And he says that you are my beloved. I poured my life out for you. You can be secure in that, no matter what may come. When we come to Christ, we move from individualism to community. We, are, we know and we know and are known. We're not suspicious anymore, but we've been changed by the love of God that connects us to each other more. From consuming to contributing, that's a lot like community. Giving of ourselves in true divine love to bless those around us. And then moving from exhaustion to rest. Seeing that you can rest in the Lord. You can rest in His promises. You can give yourself away and continue to rest in Him. But what is the vehicle or the mechanism by which we achieve these goals? It has always been historically in the church, throughout history, the same. In our Wesleyan heritage, it's the same. It came in small groups. Groups of Sunday school classes, journey groups, whatever you want to call it. It came being connected to other believers. Even if you serve in a praise team or you're on a ministry team or you're in the choir, people know you. You know them. You're holding each other accountable. That counts. It's the answer is this relationships. And as we grow in depth, we may grow in breadth. Churches, it sounds counterintuitive, but churches grow as they get smaller. There's a reason why the underground church in China continues to grow by almost 10% a year, even though the communist government is trying to destroy it. And just in December of this 2019, the, go the government uh, loosened some of their restrictions on religion, which is a great irony because you can't hold God back. But anyway, um, it, but when the Chinese government re loosened restrictions, God showed them the value of staying small. And here's what I mean. When they did this, uh, 2,000 believers in Shanghai decided to hold a public large church services. Many of them. And as they said, as the Americans do. And it wasn't long, just a few weeks ago, the Chinese government cracked down again, closed the church, arrested most of the pastors. God bless those guys. Pray for them. But it forced them back underground again to get small again. And a few of the pastors that didn't get arrested were interviewed. They said, this was the greatest thing for our church. And this next quote I put on the screen because it means so much to me as well. Because I've certainly done this too. But he said, when we got up and started doing services, I couldn't get anyone to do anything. They just wanted to show up and listen to a sermon. That's tough to read. And I've been there too. Sermons are good. Sermons are a great thing. They're important. But they said, when we went public, 
we kind of lost our DNA. We lost our mojo, you know? We lost what made us us. He said we had, we had to rediscover our five pillars of us in the Chinese church. One, we were devoted to the Word of God. Two, we were deeply devoted to prayer. We'll hear more about that in the future, in the next few weeks. Something we have to rediscover in the American church. Three, we expected every believer to be out sharing the gospel. Four, there was a regular expectation of miracles. Yes. Can we expect miracles? Please. Please. Yes. The Jesus, the Jesus we read about is not a guy on, just on the pages of a book. He still does miracles today. But we have to expect it. It's called faith for a reason. An expectant faith. And they said that's, that's what they believed. And I think that's what we need to believe as well. And five, we embrace suffering for the glory of Christ. Now when I read that, I'm like, how do you embrace suffering in a good way? Like, what? But that is literally on every pages of the New Testament. Suffering and joy, they're not counterintuitive. And that's actually what makes the, the church in China so unstoppable. Because if you've got all these people that see suffering as a joy, what's going to stop them? Or the church right now in, in Middle Eastern countries, like in Iran. I've read news reports that these, these underground churches that meet in small groups, they're exploding. And a lot of the mosques in Tehran are empty. Because no one's going. Jesus is literally visiting people in their dreams and speaking to them. Isn't that incredible? And then you won't hear it on the news, but millions of people are coming to Christ in Iran right now. And they're, but they're existing together in relationship to each other. Now, I know this isn't anything, I don't want to be like crit critical of like a mega church or anything like that. Because I've certainly worked in a number of them uh, in Charlotte. And you can have a giant pile of really good salt. Absolutely. But it's not really the goal. And in regards to history, it's, they're kind of an, an anomaly, really. Most churches in America are less than 50 people. And around the world, it's the same way. Like when I went to the Dominican Republic on a mission trip, they found out that I could sing one song in Spanish. One. And they put me on the back of a truck, and they hauled me around Santo Domingo all night. <laughs> Santo, Ero Santo. And I went in carports and, you know, yards and living rooms. That was the, that's the church. It was just like people gathered all around. It was beautiful. And they'd sing along and I'd be like, you know. That's the majority of church. Crowds don't necessarily constitute a church. It's people. It's relationships that build up the church. As First Peter wrote in his, his um, epistle, he said, um, Come to him, a living stone, though rejected by mortals, yet chosen and precious in God's sight, that Jesus is the cornerstone of our faith. And, and like living stones, let yourselves be built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer a spiritual sacrifice acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. See, a church, it's not just four walls and a budget. Those are important things. They're tools. We need them. But that's not church. It's people. It's sharing life. It's getting small. It's knowing each other. Because again, in order to grow large, we may have to get 
small. And the church usually has grown, though, because of this reason. When a busy, busy and bustling and overburdened and doubtful and insecure culture drives by and they see those relationships, they see those groups, they see, look how well they love each other. They see that and they go, I don't have that. I really need that. Can I be a part of that? It stands out. It's salty. It's light. Jesus said this in Matthew 18, 20. Where two or three are gathered, there I am in the midst of you. Now, in, the, in my church experience, we read that and we go, oh, well, well, there's two of us. Jesus is here. But does that mean when I'm alone that Jesus isn't with me? Or does that mean that Jesus isn't with us right now? There's a bunch of us together? Of course not. Of course God is with us. What if he's saying there, my preferred method for how I'm, I'm close to you is in a, small, in a small way. In a way where it's just a few of you. I can communicate to you in a big crowd, sure. But what if the main way I do it is where two or three of you are together? Have you ever thought of that way before? About a year ago, I was like, it, it, maybe the Holy Spirit, I don't know, but for us to grow in divine love, to us to grow small first, and then out of that, maybe we'll get big. Jesus went small a lot. He would disappear and go pray. He would fast. He would go into the wilderness for 40 days. And the night before he died, he wasn't around a crowd. He was in a little group, a group of disciples, and they had gathered to have Passover, a meal that symbolized the wrath of God passing over the people, the Israelites, in Egypt. And that if you put the blood of the lamb over your, your doorpost, that the wrath of God would pass over you and, and you would be spared. You would know the grace and the forgiveness and the redemption of God. And so when Jesus took that Passover bread... And he said, you've known this as the body of a lamb. This represented the, the, the flesh of a lamb that would that, the, show you the, the, the grace and the forgiveness of God. He would say, now this is my body. This, this is me. And I am the lamb. And when my body is broken and you take this meal again, you do it and you remember me. You remember that I am the lamb and that I have given my life for you. So as often as you take this meal, do it and, and, and remember. Remember me. And then he took the cup, the cup that represented the blood of the new covenant. The, the cup that represented the blood of that lamb. And he said, this is not just the blood of that lamb anymore. This is, represents my blood. I'm the lamb. I'm the only one that could take away the sin of the world, and it's me. And I've come. This is my blood poured out for you and for me and for many for the forgiveness of sin. In a short little bit, you're going to be welcomed up to come and receive this meal. We have gluten-free here in the middle. And you come with an open hand, and someone's going to put bread in your hand, and you can dip it in the juice. You can pray at the, at the prayer rail if you'd like. But also come knowing that no matter who you are or what you believe, that, that Jesus welcomes you with a radical compassion. No matter what you've done, He forgives you. No matter what you believe, he forgives you. 
And when we come, we come to remember the real presence of Christ here with us in this place. And after you, after you come down the center aisle, Melissa and I will be in the back. We can pray with you if you'd like prayer. We can anoint you with oil if you need prayers for healing for something. We'd love to do that. And you can return to your seat out the side aisles. But let's pray together. Holy Spirit, pour out yourself on these gifts of bread and wine. Let them be for us the body and blood of Christ. And that we may in turn go and be the body of Christ to the world. Holy Spirit, speak to us in these next few moments in ways that change us more into your image. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to invite the band up first and those who are helping serve come up as well.